All right. Well, if you'll uh, make your way back to your seat. Every minute I have to wait on you up here, I'm adding 10 minutes to the sermon. That was a facetious clapping. That's, that was not legit. Well, good morning to you, Windover Hills. I hope you're doing well this week. Uh, This has been um, a nice week uh, for myself. I get to take a few days off and spend some time with my kids doing a few things that we haven't been able to do this summer. So uh, I'm like like you are at the end of vacation sometimes. I'm I'm whooped and need a little vacation to to recover from my vacation. Um, But but I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but there has been... These last uh, several weeks especially, and uh, just as I go and I set out the signs along the road here, there has just been this like energy with inside of me and excitement to get to Sunday morning. Sometimes I put them out on Friday and Saturdays, and there's just been that, that even special renewed energy to be with you and to especially walk through this series that I know uh, everything we've walked through uh, hits us on some level we deal with these things that we call baggage in our life, things we carry around that God says, you don't need to carry these things around in your life. They're only, only bringing misery to you. And so I hope you felt that as well. I hope there is some energy for you that the Lord says, I've got this special word to speak to you, a special way I want to engage you and launch you into your week. So uh, I hope that's the case. This week, um, can I just share with you that this is a straightforward message this morning. I mean, it's, this is not one of those that, that it's like the conviction of our church, but every church may not carry the same conviction kind of thing, or this is not like we get excited about this and other people don't. This is like a straightforward message from God's Word that talks to us about things that can be a pitfall to us in life, and it's often one of these areas that we don't pick up on as quickly. It's a little more subtle. We're talking about this issue of greed and the baggage of greed and that when we carry around this baggage in our life, we start to see everything we do and we interpret things that are going on not only in our lives but in the lives of others, we interpret it through the lens of greed if we're not too careful. And so we're just going to walk through this and talk about what God's Word has to say. We're going to talk about how do we combat this issue as well. And it kind of wraps up and finishes off our series on greed. So if you got in here this morning and you didn't get a sermon note, uh, feel free to just slip up your hand as I continue here. Richard uh, loves to run. Uh, he trains for this all week, runs every morning, just so he can get you uh, uh, one of these sermon notes uh, in your hand. Uh, so, Richard, we appreciate the, the long hours of training that you do for this. Um, that's great. So let me recap what we've been talking about. Our first week we talked about guilt, the baggage of guilt. Guilt says this. The guilt says, I, I owe you. I've done something wrong. I've messed up in my life. I, you know, I've screwed up in some way, and I'm having difficulty getting past it. I'm having guilt, difficulty not owning the guilt to a level that it just eats at me and continues to go on. Even after being forgiven by somebody else, forgiven by our Lord, we want to hang on to the baggage of that. And the baggage of guilt says, I owe you. I owe you. I, I, I have to make it up somehow. And it it leaves out the forgiveness that God offers our lives. Anger, we talked about the week after that, and, 
And I know that many of us deal with that. Uh, men, it's especially something we deal with as men sometimes if we're not too careful. And we talk through the anger and we said, anger is kind of like a, a you owe me. You've wronged me. I'm upset at you. You did something. My, my response now, uh, emotional and action sometimes, is anger because you owe me. And when we have trouble getting past you owing me, you know, hey, I'm sorry, I wronged you, whatever I need to do to make it right, that's not enough, you still owe me. When we pick up that bag and we keep carrying it, it's a, it's a bitter bag to carry with us. We talked about how we lay that down. Then we, last week we talked about jealousy. And jealousy was a little uh, tricky, it's a little subtle. And it's saying, really, God owes me. You, know? you, you do for everybody else, God. I mean, this person has that. Look at that boat out there, that house out there, that income out there. You owe me as well, Lord. I'm working really hard. Yeah, I, I pray every day, Lord. I mean, come on. You owe me. It's, it's how we, we get into this mode of being owed. Why? Because we compare ourselves to other people and what they have and what they've been blessed with. And so why shouldn't I be blessed with the exact same kind of thing? And we talked about our vision gets off and where we look. We always look towards the person who has or that we perceive has more than us. And subtle jealousy sneaks in. Well, greed is this way. It's subtle as well. And, and greed says, I owe me. I owe me. I deserve it. I should have that too. If I could just have, then I would have. That's the, the thought of greed. So it's an I owe me type of thing here. In fact, greed's a tricky little thing because we often see it in others before we ever see it in ourselves. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I can identify the greed of someone else when they keep striving for something or wanting more and more and more, but I miss it in myself. And it's there. It's there. It sneaks its way in if we allow it to sneak its way in. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning, and we're going to walk through. I'm going to give you time already to look in Luke chapter 12. So if you want to flip, I'll get there in a minute, Luke chapter 12, and we'll just kind of walk through it. Uh, If you got in here this morning and you don't have your Bible with you, we'll put it on the screen to help you out. Uh, But as always, we encourage you, if you would, to bring your Bible with you so that you can open it up and, and work through it and Um, I guess you could come up and write notes on our screen, but it would be really awkward for all of us. Um, But you can do that in your Bible, so we encourage that. Uh, But it'll be on your screen this morning if you need to follow along. I'll get there in just uh, a minute. Here's what greed says. It says, uh, just give me a little bit more, and I'll be what? I'll be satisfied. If you could just give me a little bit more, I'll be okay. If you're a collector out there, like that's your life, you love to collect things— then you understand the principle of what I just said to be absolutely false. (laughs) Because you never can get enough. You never can collect quite enough. There's always some rare piece or some uh, item that you don't quite have. Greed says this, that if I could just have a little bit more, I'll be satisfied. I mean, in in my job, if I could just get a little raise here, then I'll I'll be satisfied. If I could get a little bit more recognition in what I'm doing, if somebody would just say thank you a few more times, then I'll be satisfied. Hey, I love the house we're in, but you know, if I could get a house that had this attached to it, then like, our, our family could be satisfied. Now, in and of themselves, none of that, what I just said, is wrong to strive for. It's not wrong to get a raise. It's not wrong to have recognition. Not wrong if, you know, if your family needs more space in your house. None of that stuff in and of itself. It's the mentality that goes along with it. And if we're not careful, before we know it, we start to interpret everything out there based on 
that's okay, but if I could just get this, then I would be satisfied. Now, some of you, I'm 42 years old, some of you are my age, some of you are older, and you've understood, you can tell the stories of how it just never seems to work out that way. It just doesn't seem to work out. I tried to explain this uh, as my Amtrak story. Back in the day, I took an Amtrak from Los Angeles to Denver. Now, if you're watching an Amtrak commercial, you know, 30-second, one-minute commercial, Amtrak ride looks amazing. I mean, they flash these scenery across, and you're like, man, that's incredible. I want to go see that. But when you get on the Amtrak and you ride it 24 straight hours, um, it's not nearly as exciting looking out. You look at the scenery and go, well, that, that is incredible. But two hours later, when you're still looking at it, 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 it doesn't quite amaze you. So you're instinctively on there. I'm ready to see something else. I want to see something. I want to see mountains now. I want to see a field now. I want to see some animals now. And I mean, that's the whole mentality, the whole way. Now, add yourself into being a youth leader taking about 25 junior hires on that Amtrak, and you can see that's a miserable, miserable experience. Um, it's kind of like what greed does in our life. We're constantly like, what's the next thing? I want to see this. I want to experience this. I want to have this next thing, and I'll be good. Here's another thing greed does. Greed always confuses our wants with our needs. Always confuses wants and needs. Now, parents out there, you know your kids will say things like, oh, I need this, I need this, I need this, and you're in the toy, toy aisle, you know, at, uh, at Walmart, in the electronics aisle, or, you know, in the DVD section, um, and you know right away as a parent, you don't need that. You, you know, want that. And you give the little, you know, very, very smart parent lecture right there in the middle of, you know, Walmart or Target or wherever you're at. But when we look at that as adults, it's very subtle, but it sneaks into our lives as well. When we start to think about our purchases, when we think about what we do with our time, we always, with greed, confuse wants with our needs. There are things in God's Word where he says, look, you need this. I want to provide this for you. I want to provide you a place to live. I want to provide you food. I want to provide you community. Outside of those things, God doesn't say a lot about things being our needs. It's us that interprets it that way, and greed is often the definer of how we interpret it. So ultimately, greed is this. It's it's really a it's not a financial issue or a things issue. It's really a heart issue. That's what we're going to investigate and we're going to look at in God's Word, this greed becoming a heart issue. Do you know that greed is so important to God? We find that even in the Ten Commandments and in, in number 10 that we're not to covet our neighbor. Anything our neighbor has, we're not to covet. But God, God knows, look, to have that heart of saying, if I could only have what they have, if I could just have this or get this, then life would be wonderful. I'd be satisfied. I'd be happy. I'd have joy, and everything would work very well, and we all live happily ever after. So it's, it's embedded right there in the Ten Commandments. Jesus brings us up again where he includes, in, in Mark chapter 7, he actually includes greed right between adultery and murder. He throws in greed. That means when we start to evaluate our lives and when we start to look at how greed subtly plays its way in, it's so significant to Jesus that he says, that's as, that's as bad as, us, as, as murder. Now, granted, you're not getting arrested and going to jail uh, for that, Right? But Jesus said, this is a heart issue, and greed's going to destroy your heart just the same way, so he includes it in there. We find twice in Paul's writing that he includes greed along with his list 
of sins when he talks through them. So it's that important in God's word all the way through this. Jesus knew this very well. He says this in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Watch out, be on guard against what? All kinds of greed. Now notice that Jesus just doesn't launch you into it and say, hey, don't do this. Don't be greedy. Don't get trapped by greed. He says, watch out. Watch out. Why? Because Jesus knows it's subtle. He knows this sneaks into our lives. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed because they'll sneak up on you. In fact, this comes from a passage, and I want to actually read the whole passage so that you, you get it in context. And then I want to talk about a couple things about how we overcome greed, and, uh, and then we'll continue on from there. So if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 12 is where I said we'll be. We're going to start in verse 13, and I'll just read on to verse 21, and then, uh, and then we'll move forward on that and talk through it. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, it's talking to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Very interesting what's going on here is someone in the crowd uh, wants basically Jesus to divide the inheritance, the will. He wants to decide. Have you ever seen these or heard of these stories where a will is read and then there's just like incredible animosity in the family on who gets what and I was supposed to get this and dad said I would get this and and we have this frustration and anger within a family. Well, this is obviously someone had come and they decided, Jesus, I want you to decide this. Now, this wasn't uncommon. Um, in, our, in our day, we, we, you would have uh, somebody who would arbitrate the will, but it would be very common in Jesus' age for people to go and them to speak to Jesus, to the rabbi, and them to, to give some type of ruling on this. Um, this was very common in Jewish culture in Jesus' time. And so for this man to ask here is nothing out of the norm. But Jesus looks at this and he says, I'm not going to get caught by this issue. I know what's really going on here. The heart of this issue is not just a fairness issue on what, you know, what did the mom or dad or however this worked out, what did they say, who would get what. Jesus knows the heart. He says, I'm not the judge appointed. Then he goes on in verse 15, and this is, he gets to the heart of it. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man pr produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. Now, some of us probably as we read that go, well, that sounds like a pretty, pretty good idea, right? I mean, yeah, that's what you do. So verse 19, though, and all I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Key verse, the very last one. We'll look at that in a, in a minute. Now, Jesus is clearly combating this normal thinking, and it exists in our culture today, and he's combating it here, this thinking that you need more and more, that you need to just keep increasing what you have for the purpose of getting to the point where you can just back off and not really have to do anything any longer. Now, this is interesting to us because when we think about it in our system, 
almost everything is designed that way, right? I mean, you just keep working harder, keep working at the same place for a long term, or when you transfer places, you transfer for some mobility's sake, you know, some upward mobility sake. It's just built into who we are and what we do, right? Remember, in God's Word, this whole uh, uh, build into retirement system, that, that doesn't exist in God's Word. So Jesus is not interpreting what he is writing here based on the way uh, our American retirement system and, and employment system works. Now, hold on just for a second before you say, Tom, this morning he preached that retirement's bad, and that's not what we're talking about at all. But Jesus is not interpreting it, so be careful that we put our present culture, our our present system into Jesus' words. What Jesus is saying here, what he's teaching in this parable here, is a point he wants to get at. The first thing he's trying to to tell them here and how you overcome greed in your notes is is you got to refuse to allow goods to become your God. That's the first thing for any of us. Whether you're in an American system and you're working towards retirement or not, irrelevant, you can't let your goods become, and the accumulation become your gods. Notice what he says in verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. So you can see his mentality was to gain more and more. Uh, Much of what was going on in his life was going to entirely revolve around building bigger and bigger and, and getting more and more. And this is what Jesus is teaching against here, that when, these, when this getting and accumulating becomes our desire and our passion and the things that drives us, guess what it's become? It's become our God as well. It becomes another form of idolatry in our lives where we say, this is more significant to me than to God. Remember the last verse we read that we'll get to, that's the context Jesus is going to put all this in. You're striving for more and more. Now put it in your context today. When you think about how much time you invest in your life in this type of accumulation of more, or the climbing the ladder in your job or or whatever it is that you do, versus how much time you might put in to do the things that God might have called us each to do or what the Bible sees as significant. Or within your job, you've had the opportunity to use your job and use your gifting and use your your resources for his purposes, but you've sided more with gaining more or keep climbing that ladder. I know for me personally, when I lock on to something, maybe you're like me, and I think, you know, this is the direction I'm going to go. This is what I'd like to accumulate. I can get into a mode where, like, I am just, like, obsessed with working towards the end of receiving that thing. Minivan was one of the big ones in our lives. Um, Yet, men, I bought a minivan. I was passionate about it. When I was in Arizona, I just decided our family needs a minivan. We had two kids. Um, I can't remember if Sierra was on the way or not at that time. But, um, but you know, we, we had gone from, like, the two-on-one approach to the, the man-to-man defense approach. And, um, and we just felt like we needed a little more space in the car. And so I got hooked onto the idea of us needing a minivan and a brand-new minivan. And, I mean, I just got locked in on this. And so much so that... I had formulated every argument and line of reasoning around why this needed to be the route uh, we went, that had you come up to me and you started to talk to me about anything otherwise, I wouldn't have heard a word that you had said. So I probably would have thought you were a moron, because I had it worked out really well. 
And can I just tell you that um, it just turned out to be one of the poor decisions that we made. Um, For us at the time where we were at in our life and what we were facing and where God had put us, it was not a wise decision, but I got locked into it. I never for a moment would identify that journey in the process as greed, as greed. But you know, it's really at the core, it's how I was interpreting the whole thing. This is what I need. I, I can't have this, this, this. And so we strove, and we, I even put my family in some financial jeopardy because a, a good, a minivan, goods, became something very, very valuable and more important to me. And I would guess if I went back and I could really look at the timing, I'm sure my looking through catalogs and working through angles was far more than my time in devotion saying, Lord, what would you have for our family? What would you want to provide for our family? And so for a few years, we dug ourselves out of that hole of that. How do we overcome greed? The second thing Jesus teaches us in this passage is we've got to resist this self-centered living. Look at verse 19 there. He says, And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of goods laid up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be Mary. Now you have heard different forms of that verse be used by, by all kinds of groups, Christian and non-Christian alike. This eat, drink, and be merry type of thing. And Jesus is saying here, in the parable, this person, I'll build this up, I'll store this up, and I'll, I'll get such to a great level of my life that I'll just be able to sit around and, and you know, eat, drink, be merry, and, and life will be Life will be great. I won't have to do what I've been doing up till now. Two things I've learned. Um, first of all, it, it rarely works out that way. It, it seems like the striving and greed personality continues to go that way. We continue to strive. We continue to desire for more, even when we reached what we thought we originally were striving for. And then you might agree with me and know that it never seems to bring the joy and satisfaction in life that it's promised this week, um, Era Preston was an assistant pastor when I became a Christian in high school. Um, she passed away this past week at our old church. Probably 50 plus years of ministry. Um, I don't know how many years. I'd lost track over the last 15 or so years of her life and what she had been doing. But I remember a few things that she said. One I shared with the praise team this morning. When she prayed, she would always say, let us go directly into the throne room of God. And then she would pray. Uh, it stuck with me forever when we pray that we go directly uh, into that type of, of, of throne room there. But the other thing, I remember her saying that sin never delivers what it promises. Never delivers. And she only spoke one time, as far as my recollection, to the youth ministry when she came down and I was a teen. Sin never delivers what it promises. And it's the same thing here with greed. This desire for more and more and this desire for this just kind of focus on myself and, and if I have and if I give myself, if I provide for myself, then I will find this joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. And as Jesus was walking through this parable, he's basically saying to this guy, that's not what we're after in life and it'll never bring it in the first place. Now here's the danger zone. If you're a mom or dad out there, Sometimes we live our own greed and our own selfishness through the disguise of, I'm providing for my family. And we say things like, I'm just getting, you know, I just want my family to have every opportunity. I want my kids to have every opportunity. And if you strip some of those phrases away 
At the core, you have the same thing that we're talking about here. It's this kind of self-centered focus of greed. I want more and more and more. We just wrap it up in our family so it feels a whole lot healthier and a whole lot more correct for us. And so in this parable, of course, the next line, he says, But God said to you, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, and you will get what, or then who will get what has, have you prepared for yourself? I mean, he's saying here, look, you're gone, you're dead, and guess what? You're not taking it with you. You know this. Somebody else gets it. It transfers on to someone else here and moves on. And what do you have for it? Nothing. You, you have death. Maybe your family has a few items from there on out, but one day it'll transfer and pass for them. What kind of example did you teach them with your stuff? This resisting of this self-centered life. And then the crux of it all that Jesus gets to in this last point, that we have to resolve to be generous towards God. He says at the very end in verse 21 here, this is how it will be for anyone who stores up things on, for himself but is not rich towards God. It's the this how is how it'll be for anyone's phrase that really hits me hard. When I look at that phrase and I read that phrase and it says this is how it will be, what is the this how it'll be is he talking about there? Well, what he has just described. It'll be like a life where you strive to build barns bigger and bigger to store more and more and more. And at some point in that journey, you, you just fall over dead and you're done and you got nothing to show for it. He said, this is how life will be. This is the metaphor of life when we strive after these things. And yet, as he says in the rest of the verse, but we don't, we don't do anything that's rich towards God. We don't do anything with our resources, our finances, our time, our energy, our talents for the kingdom of God. Is what he's saying here is, look, there's a stewardship principle involved here, and the issue of greed will steal that stewardship principle right out of your life. It'll just wide it away and get rid of it where you don't even see it. And then there's this point where it's all over, and you look back and you say, well, what did I do with what I was giving? What did I actually do? You see, it, when we look at these things, we can look at it two different ways. We can look at, at it that God has given me all of this, and he has called me to now be a good manager of all he has given me. Or we can look at it this way and say, I did it all. I built all this. I did it. Everything I have, I did it. Now, it's true that you worked hard probably, I guess. You made some good, wise decisions in the process. You probably said no to some pitfalls that allowed you to still be prosperous. But to cut God out of the equation and to say that he was Never a God that provided for me in the first place leads to what this parable is talking about. It's this emptiness, just doneness with nothing to show for it here. And so we have to resolve to be generous towards God, to, to give where we're supposed to give, to use our time where we're supposed to use it, to use our resources the way we're supposed to use it. And that's how we compact this greed. In fact, greed in your notes this morning is conquered by generosity. That's the way we do it. When our heart decides we're going to give and we're going to be generous with what we have, your time, your talents, your finances, your resources, that is how you compact greed. The two can't really function in the same environment, and so we choose to be generous. 
Notice what Proverbs 11.25 says. It says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes, excuse me, others will himself be refreshed. How many times have you heard when someone goes away on a, a mission trip or they go away to serve somewhere and they go with the mentality to be the one serving and helping and, and lifting up those who are downtrodden, they come home and it's the same story every single time. What is it? Man, what God did in my heart while I was there. He so ministered to me. Those people that we were were working for, or we were serving, or we were feeding, they so ministered to my heart while I was there. I'm a different person today. It's this verse in action that we are refreshed when we choose to refresh others, when we choose to be generous and to give and to offer to other people. And that's the amazing thing about how it works in God's system. So success then, it's not really determined by how much you have. That's what our world would say, right? Um, the, the, the more you have, the bigger you have, the more name brand that you have, that would be a sign of your success. Can I tell you back in high school, I drove, I think I've told you this before, a sort of red 983 Datsun, not Nissan, Datsun Sentra that I drove around. It was all faded up. The bumper was sideways. And I used to go golfing, and we had this deal at our college where we could go to this country club, this private country club, and play golf. I used to look for the two nicest cars I could and just pray that there was a parking place open in between them, as I like to pull that Datsun up right in between those cars. And, and, uh, and sometimes I like to pull it up just close enough where when they came out to get in their car, they had to worry, did I bump their car with my door when I opened it up? So, Yeah. That's fun. Success, it's not determined by what you have. It's determined by how much you give away. It's how generous are you with what you have? How generous are you? I mean, when the, when the neighbor needs help, how generous are you with, with your time? How, how generous are you with your stuff? Are you willing to loan your stuff, give your stuff? How about you, just your flat-out finances, your dollars? On and on and on. We, it's by how much we give away It's how we combat this greed issue. And we find it over and over and over in God's word, this principle of being generous, of giving, to combat this issue of greed that we find over and over in Scripture. So three quick takeaways here, and we'll be done this morning. I want to share with you uh, three steps to really enlarging your heart this morning, enlarging your heart, because it's, it's an issue of heart that we talked about at the beginning. Number one is your priority giving. Your priority giving. So when we talk about being generous, um, we talk about your priority giving. What is it that is a priority in your life to be generous towards? To be generous with what is a priority? I give my time. I give my talents. I give my resources, my finances. To what? It's an important thing for you to walk through and say, is this a priority to give to? I think for most of us who would say we're believers in Jesus Christ, when we talk about our time, our energy, our finances, we would say, my priority is to give to the Lord. My priority is to give to the kingdom for kingdom values. My, my priority is to give to seeing somebody come to know Jesus as their Savior. I think if we sat down and we talked through it, most of us as believers would say that. So don't just sit down and talk through it, though. Look at what you really do. Evaluate and ask yourself, what is my priority giving here? What is the priority in my life where I give my money, where I give my time, where I give my finances? Because over and over and over, we find 
that in reality, when it comes to the things of God, building his kingdom, serving in his church, you know, giving as the Bible calls us, we often in the end say, I don't have time for that. I'm too busy to do that. I'm going to have to cut that out of my life. Or I don't have finances left for that. Priority giving is number one. It's your, it's your own evaluation of where does my giving go? Where, do I, where does my generosity get to? The second thing is a, a percentage giving. And we talk about this in the church uh, 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 quite a bit from the sense that we only ever discuss finances in our church, talking about the biblical model of finances, and it's an issue of percentage, that we give a 10%, a tithe, to the Lord. It starts in the Old Testament, flows through God's Word, and so we obey that and follow that, this percentage giving. We've talked at time because we, we have some of these Dave Ramsey principles. In fact, we're teaching a class coming up, Financial Peace University, on September 14th. Every single one of you is welcome to join. Biblical financial principles. You can sign up at the table uh, on your way out. It's coming up soon. Um, And that's this principle of a percentage that you would save and put away for times when your car goes down or times when the Lord captures your heart in a special way and you want to give towards that, that thing. And then there's this amount that's left, and it's always the greatest percentage that's left for you to spend how you so desire and choose to spend. When you start to sit down and you process, what is my percentage giving? What, what do I give here, and how am I generous in my percentage giving? You start to see where things really go and what, where the chunks happen. And then finally, we have this spontaneous giving uh, as well. Here's a problem. Spontaneous giving, you might think, well, spontaneous giving, you mean you just like spend money spontaneously? Guess what? It's actually okay if you followed the first two principles really well. We like to jump down to the third one, and we like to start with spontaneous spending, do we not? Um, we go around and we see something we like, and we think, ah, I'm okay, I can figure that in my head, kind of figure, hey, um, uh, yeah, two, 236, I could probably handle that a month. And we launch right into something that's a three or four or five year commitment, Right? with that spontaneous giving. If we start with priority giving, what are the priorities? If we start with the percentages, well, where am I giving these percentages? Spontaneous giving, guess what? It comes out of the leftover percentage, and it's actually something that's, that's okay. Here's what happens with spontaneous giving sometimes is God captures your heart on something. You're listening to the radio, and you're just so passionate about the ministry they have on the radio that God captures your heart. And guess what? You said, look, I walked through the first two principles, and my heart is moved by this. I'm going to give this, to this thing that needs my, uh, my resources or my finances. Or you look, and you've got, man, I've got Thursday night. This is available. This is a really good night for my family. We're going to go down and serve in, in this area here. Or maybe the spontaneous thing is just, I'm going to join this bowling league on Thursday night. I've walked through principle one and two well with my family, and we'll go and we'll, we'll, we'll bowl, bowl on Thursday night. These would be steps to enlarging your heart, to really getting off greed and focusing on the way God wants to help you use your resources, your finances, and your time, and all of that that is involved as well. Because God knows the baggage of greed, it never goes away unless we put it down and transfer it into a life of of generosity. Let me pray for you. Father, this morning I I thank you for just a series of this baggage that we've been walking through. And and Father, this morning especially um, I confess 
the years and the times where I have been greedy on things. Lord, sometimes it's been major decisions that I've really disrupted my family, and other times it's, it's been smaller things that I've just had to recover from in smaller ways. But the heart has been the same, Lord. And so, Lord, I confess that before you this morning. My desire, Lord, as a pastor of this church, is never to be led with greed. And so, Lord, I pray that on every single person here. I pray that there just be our own self-evaluation that's going on. And maybe in their times of devotion this week, each morning when they go before you and pray and ask God, if there be any greedy way in, this, in me, would you deal with me, Lord? Would you show me a path of generosity to, that I could combat greed, that I could be generous and I could give with my time, with my talents, my resources, everything I have, Lord, that I give to you. Lord, would you reveal to each of us this morning where it is that you want to transform us in this area of greed. And Lord, I would guess that there probably is some here that as, even as they heard it this morning, their, their gut is walking away, their knee-jerk response is walking away saying, I don't really deal with that. So Father, if there be some way that you want to speak to them that's, that's outside of this message or this time this morning, some, some other way that you just want to process and and talk or even challenge, we give you the freedom as our Lord and Savior to do that. And Lord, we give this all to you and we trust you for our life transformation. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Well, amen. Um, so I have to tell